Like David said, we've been in a series called Vitals, and we've been going through, last week Doug opened us up, talking about God's greatness and God's goodness. And do those mesh? Um, what do we believe about God's goodness, his love, his grace, his kindness, and his power, on the other hand, his greatness, um, his sovereignty? How do those mesh, and what does that mean in our Christian lives? Well, when Doug asked me, hey, Alec, um, what do you want to speak on on the 28th? I said, I can't speak on anything else except holiness. And here's why. Holy might be the most overused word in the English language. Am I right? Holy guacamole, right? Holy guacamole. How about holy cow? Holy cow. No offense to any Hindu friends we have in here, but holy cow. How about this one? Well, I might not say that in church. Holy crap. See, I don't know where you guys are going with that. Well, I see you. We're in church, y'all. Be careful. No, holy is used all the time. And actually, there's someone, we, you might use it all the time. I'm, I know I use it all the time. There's someone who is the OG of overusing the word holy. Take a look. Holy understatements, Batman. Holy taxidermy. Holy eggshell. Holy hot foot. Holy Fourth Amendment. Holy rats in a trap. Holy one-track bat computer mind. Holy Long John Silver. A holy homework. Holy Romeo and Juliet. Holy conflagration. Holy schizophrenia. <laughs> holy impregnability. Holy crucial moment. Holy sudden incapacitation. Holy heart failure. Holy murder. Holy <laughs> homicide. Holy felony. Holy interplanetary yardstick. Holy unrefillable prescriptions. Holy priceless collection of Etruscan snoods. Holy contributing to the delinquency of minors. Holy traveling. Holy missing relatives. Holy stewpot. Holy tin toes. <laughs> holy fruit salad. Holy ravioli. Holy hole in a donut. Holy hole in a donut. That's what the last one said. <laughs> Adult leaders who are here tonight. Do you guys know who those people were? Yeah, how many watched the old school Batman show? Yeah, wow, that's quite a bit of us. Yeah, you gotta love it. Gotta love Robin and his holy exclamations, right? Well, here's what I propose, guys. Here's my question, I should say. Where, we use this word all the time, but where does holiness fit in God's character? Is it part of his goodness? Is he holy and pure? Is that what it means? Or does, holy, does holiness mean something else? Is it part of his goodness, his greatness? That's the question we're going to answer. So open up your Bibles, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. That's going to be our text tonight. And before we jump in, I'm going to pray. So pray with me. Lord, we are so curious about where your holiness fits in your character, but also in our lives. So God, um, answer please our questions from your word. Um, help us to to enter um, this space with no assumptions about you, but with honest inquiries about, about your character and how um, you being holy affects us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Read with me, guys. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah, I'm sorry, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongue of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. What a crazy scene. For those of you who don't know, the prophet Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. Um, he was one of the first prophets to actually prophesy the coming of Jesus the Messiah in very clear terms. Um, he was, I guess you could call him the research professor of his day. He, was, he went straight to God, got word from God, studied the Pentateuch and the Old Testament scriptures, and then went and delivered that to the people so they could learn, right? That's what a research professor go, does. Goes and finds original research, goes right to the source, hears it from the source, goes and delivers it to, to the students. Well, for a research professor, this, this scene is a little bit trippy, if you know what I mean. I work in the restaurant industry, so I have druggy friends, I have to admit. I have a bunch of druggy friends. How many of you work in, have worked in a restaurant before? Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I have friends who come to me and say, bro, last night I did some acid. And at that point in the story, I'm like, oh boy, I know what's about to come out of his mouth. I had a friend tell me once that they have a picture of a, of a skunk hanging on their bedroom wall. And then after they did acid, they went and lay down, and the skunk came and snuggled with them through the night. I'm telling you, if I didn't know better, <laughs> I would argue that, man, Isaiah is on something here. Look at what it says. He says, there's a beast called a seraphim. It has six wings, not two. Not two. There's six wings. Two in front of his face, two in front of his feet, and he's flying with the other two. You know what I'm saying? To that hoverboard life. He's not, not just that, there's smoke all around him. There's this loud voice, and the, it says that the Lord's robe fills the entire room. So just imagine that. The Lord's on his throne. You got all of this, this, this blanket, this robe all around the floor. There's these bees flying up, and, and Isaiah's just standing there. Now, we don't know if this was a dream or a vision, but what this passage really is, this is Isaiah's calling to ministry. This is when God first speaks to him, and right after what I just read is the famous passage, um, who will go? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. This is what's going on here, guys, okay? What I find interesting, though, is that at the very center of this very peculiar passage, this very peculiar vision that Isaiah is having, there is a song that the angels are singing. And what the song says is holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And they're repeating that. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Now, when I first read this, I had to ask myself, why holy? Why is that the attribute that the angels are singing? Why not, you know, holy, peaceful, kind? Why aren't they listing them? Or why aren't they saying, you know, God is love? Why aren't they saying, loving, loving, loving is the Lord God Almighty? There's something about his holiness 
that is so special that all the angels sing is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So in order to understand this, I think first we have to define what holiness means. So let's look right here. This is the Hebrew word for holiness. It's kadosh. Can you guys say that? Kadosh. Kadosh. That's right. You got to say it with a little emphasis. Kadosh. Come on, guys. Come on. Kadosh. There, there you go. What kadosh means, literally translated, is the best way we can translate it into English would be a better cut. A better cut. So, I mean, I don't know what that makes you think. That may make you think of a better cut of meat. If you like porterhouse steaks, you understand what I'm talking about. It's not a New York strip. This is a porterhouse, right? This is a better cut of meat. For me, though, many of you know I just got married. And shout out to Tory Bay right there. Love of my life. Anyways, uh, five months before getting married, you know what I did? Anyone want to guess? I proposed. I got on one knee. And I proposed, and when I, right before I proposed, I went ring shopping. Ring shopping might be the perfect place to understand holiness, man. Because you walk into the ring shop, you go up to the front counter, and you go, hey man, I'm, you know, looking for an engagement ring. And they go, oh, congratulations, you have a picture of the lovely lady. No, I don't carry any pictures in my wallet. Thank you, though, my phone's dead, but I really just want to buy a ring. So he shows you this case of rings, you're looking through them. And inevitably, this always happens to me with everything I purchase. There's like one back in the corner, and it's the most beautiful one, right? And it's like 17 carats, it's white gold, it's like the size of a ring pop, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And I go, bro, what is that? And he goes, you don't want to know, man. I'm like, how much is it? And he flips the tag over, and it literally says an arm and a leg. That's what it says on the ring. Like, we literally need to cut off your arm and leg to give you this ring. As long as it's my right arm, right, so I can still wear mine. No, I'm just kidding. And, and he goes, I say, why is this so expensive? And he says, oh, man, the clarity, man, the color, the contour, all these different things. I'm like, I don't know what that means. What do you mean? What are you talking about? And he basically says, listen, this ring is a cut above. It's a cut above the rest. It's so much better that it's actually different. We keep it separate from the rest of the rings. This is what holiness means. It is not, holiness is not just about purity. It's not, a lot of times we misuse the term when we're talking about God. Or maybe you talk to a friend and you say, you know, I'm just really trying to keep myself holy. I'm really just concerned with personal holiness. And what you're talking about many times is purity, moral purity. But this isn't the whole idea. At best, Purity is a secondary effect of God's holiness. If we were going to give a word in English besides the actual word holiness, I think this is the word we would use. Transcendent. Transcendent. The word transcendent means exceeding usual limits. Exceeding usual limits. This is what the angels are singing in the throne room. They're saying transcendent, holy, a cut above the rest. God, you are a cut above the rest. You're a cut above the rest. You are a porterhouse in a world of New York strips. Am I right? Three things, guys, that I want to notice. Because if this is what's going on, if this is the scene, this is Isaiah's experience, then, then the angel saying, holy, 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 
means something for our lives. I want to notice three things in this text. The first, holy is other, not just better. You should have a handout on your, on your seat with a pen. That's the first two blanks. Holy is other, not just better. I mean, you know the scene. There's that robe. There's the smoke. There's all this, you know, makes us feel like Isaiah is on something. When the truth is, I think Isaiah does the best he can to describe what he's seen. But at the end of the day, Isaiah has never seen anything like this before. He, he can't put into words what it's like to stand before God. I'll tell you exactly what this is like. I am from the great state of Maryland. Shout out Chesapeake Bay, DMV, for life. You know what I'm saying? And as a Marylander, the closest thing we got to a theme park is called King's Dominion. King, you know what I'm talking about? Where are you from? Virginia Beach, that's right. You know King's Dominion. At King's Dominion, there's an incredible roller coaster called Intimidator 305. This is a picture of Intimidator 305. Notice my favorite part of this picture. Notice behind the, the theme park, there's just like country. There's like nothing there. It's in the middle of nowhere. Intimidator 305. So I've ridden this countless times growing up. But it was about four years ago that I went to King's Dominion with a friend, and we decided, let's sit in the front row. That's right, let's sit in the front row. We had heard rumors, get this, we had heard rumors that without fail, the three or four people in the front row pass out. That's what we heard. And we were like, nah, nah, nah. I've been here forever. I've ridden this roller coaster so many times. Needless to say, we blacked out for about five to seven seconds, right? And I just remember when I woke up going, is it over? Like, what just happened? I was so confused. This is the closest I had to understanding what a theme park was, King's Dominion. Shout out to Virginia Beach people. I know we love it. But then I went to Disney. Right? Disney people, do you know what I'm talking about? The first time you walk, to, walk into Magic Kingdom, you have to ride a ferry, first of all. Like, how pretentious is that? It's like, you can't just walk into the park. We're going to boat ride you over. So you get on the ferry, you go in. I'll never forget the first time I rode Space Mountain. I just remember being like, I got off this ride and my head doesn't hurt. What is this? This is a whole new level of roller coasters. See, I thought Disney was going to be a better version of King's Dominion. But that's not the case. Disney is a whole other experience. You know what I mean? A whole other experience than any of the local roller coasters you might have ridden growing up. This is what it means to be holy. Holy is not, this is the same thing Isaiah is seeing. He's saying, this isn't just a pretty palace. This isn't just a better version of an earthly throne that I've seen. This is a throne room. This is a God that is so beyond my words that I, I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. That's what it means to be truly holy. Remember that. Not Intimidator 305, Space Mountain. Space Mountain. Number two, I want you guys to notice that God is not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. God is not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. And you might ask, well, you know, what do, you, what do you mean, Alec? Because you're just saying the same word over and over again. What does that mean? Well, in, in the Jewish language, in Hebrew, 
what we find is that the, the Hebrew language has no superlatives. Any English majors in here? Yeah? You guys know what I'm talking about. In the, in the Hebrew language, you wouldn't say, you know, you wouldn't say, Corey is the craziest person I know. You would never say that. You would say, Corey is crazy, 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 man. He's like the craziest that I know. This is the same thing. I don't know if you've ever read in the New Testament where Jesus says, verily, verily, I say to you, or truly, truly, I say to you. What he's saying is, this is not just true. This is the truest true that I, I am promising. This is the absolute truth. So when the angels are before the Lord, they're not just saying, God, you are holy. In fact, there's other things in the Bible that are referred to as holy. If you guys know the story of Moses, baby Moses is left in a basket. He's picked up by the, the queen. You know, he grows up as a prince. Well, then he gets in trouble with the law, has to leave in his first, he has to leave um, Egypt in his first encounter with God in the wilderness, right? There's a burning bush. And out of the burning bush, Moses hears, take your shoes off because you are standing on what? On holy ground, right? There's other places in the Bible where you say, oh, this is a holy day or this is holy ground. But nowhere in scripture, guys, is, things, or is something else called holy, holy, holy. What this is telling us is that God is not just holy. He is the holiest of the holy. He's not just a cut above. He is so far above the rest that there's no one like him. We just sing, there's no other name. There's no other name like yours. This is the essence of God's holiness. There is none who compare to him. He is holy, 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 transcendent, holy, cut above the rest. Cut above the rest. In fact, he's so holy that when Isaiah sees him, he's speechless. It says he trembles out of fear. And he says, woe is me. I am undone. That's what that word means. I am literally unraveling at the seams because you are so far above what I thought you were. What's interesting, though, is that Isaiah must have read Old Testament description, descriptions about God. That was his job. He read the Pentateuch. He saw the temple. He saw what it was supposed to look like inside. He read about the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And yet with all of this, Isaiah's experience of encountering God leaves him flabbergasted. Yes, I just said flabbergasted in church. That's right. It leaves him in awe. And that's the third thing I think we should notice, guys. God's holiness makes prophets feel like preschoolers. God's holiness makes prophets feel like preschoolers. I, I'd wager that there's two kinds of people in the world. People who get starstruck and people who don't. You know what I'm saying? You meet a celebrity, there's two kinds of people in this room. There's those of us who go, <laughs> right? And there's the other ones who are like, yo, what's up? Like, yeah, nice to meet you. I'm a big fan of your music. Like, that's, that's, there's no in between with that. I see this almost every weekend when I help Pastor David. If you've ever been to church on a Sunday, you know Pastor David speaks, and then he comes out, and he stands in front of the, in front of the stage. <laughs> in many weeks, he spends time just conversating with people. Without fail, most weeks, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith are listening to the sermon, and Mrs. Smith says, yo, honey, I, I think... I think I'm going to go run and get Jimmy because I would love for Jimmy to meet Pastor David. 
So stay right here where we are sitting. I'm going to go. I'll be right back. So Mrs. Smith goes. She comes back. Of course, Mr. Smith isn't there because men don't listen, right? So Mrs. Smith, I was like, oh, I have to do this all by myself. So she walks up to the front of the stage, finds Pastor David, waits in line. Says, Pastor David, thank you so much for that sermon. It's so wonderful to meet you. They're just having a pleasant conversation. And then Mrs. Smith goes, Pastor David, I'd love for you to meet my son, Jimmy. There's only two kinds of people in the world. And there's only two kinds of preschoolers. This four or five-year-old, without fail, there's two things that they do. They either go, roll their eyes and turn around, or they do this. (laughs) Right? Now, this kid may have seen Pastor David a thousand times. He might have watched on live stream. He might have been in church and watched him on stage because he was misbehaving so badly that the teachers kicked him out of the classroom. You know what I mean? So he's sitting in, you know, he's seen Pastor David all over campus. But when you see him up, in cl- up close and personal, he's so much taller than you would think. You know what? Especially for a four-year-old, a five-year-old, this preschooler is looking up like, you are Goliath. You are what the Bible is talking about in that passage. And... and it's the same with Isaiah, guys. Isaiah comes before God, and Isaiah thought he knew. He studied God. He knows the passages about him. He knows the story of Moses and when he encountered God. And yet, God was so much more than what Isaiah thought he knew. God was so much more than what Isaiah thought he knew. Not just that, but God was so much more than what Isaiah could have imagined. God is so transcendent, guys. He's so cut above. He's so holy that we can't even imagine a being like him. And the only response that we have when we come into his presence is, whoa, I did not expect that. This said, I think if you add it all together, the definition of holiness, you take the fact that we're not, we're not, We're not better, God's not better, I'm sorry. He's other. And God's not just other, he's not just holy, but he's holy, holy, holy. He is the holiest of everything that is holy. And he's not just holy, 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 but he's so holy that he makes prophets feel like preschoolers. When you add all of this up, this is what I want, if you take nothing else tonight, this is what I want you guys to write down. The main point. Holiness is not just one of God's characteristics, guys but the lens through which we see all of God's character. Holiness is the lens through which we see all of God's character. Last week, Doug said something that's just stuck with me throughout the week as I've been doing my quiet time. Um, He said, many times we see the right things, but we don't see things rightly. We see the right things, but we don't see them rightly. My, My conviction, guys, is that holiness is the key that we need to unlock not just seeing the right things, but seeing those things rightly. Because when you know God is holy, you know his love is not just love. It's holy love. It's love that's so far above what you and I could imagine. And his justice, his justice isn't just justice. It's not earthly justice that we think of with laws. His justice is so cut above. It's holy justice. It's a justice that's so far beyond our imagination. And not just this, 
but he's not just loving sometimes and just sometimes, but he is the perfect, holy combination of those attributes. Holiness, guys, will humble you. It will humble your heart when you realize that what God is, all of his characteristics, they all are filtered through his, his, his holiness. And when you know that, you know, you approach it with a humility of, yeah, I might have, I might have learned some stuff in Sunday school, but I am not prepared for what I'm going to see one day. Both his goodness and his greatness are both holy goodness and holy greatness. And so with that, I think that means three things for our lives, guys. It means obviously more, but there's three things I want us to take away. The first is that we're called to have preschooler faith. We're called to have preschooler faith. In, in the New Testament, um, we, we, you hear the term, we're called to have childlike faith, childlike faith. Well, this is what I think, uh, this is what I think Isaiah has to have here. Because Isaiah encounters a being that is so far above his comprehension. Pastor David last week talked about the story of, of Jesus returning to Nazareth. And he talks about how Jesus could do no miracle in that town because of the people's lack of faith. And Pastor David's main point was the human assumptions that people put on Jesus limited his divine, divine authority. Not limited in power, but limited what he wanted to do in that town. This is what we're going to have to struggle with as we learn to have preschooler faith. Because all of us in this room have assumptions we make about God. You might have a really bad relationship with your father. And when you think of God as your father, you think, oh, he's controlling. He doesn't want me to have any fun. He's not necessarily for me. You might have bad experiences with the law with authority in general. And so when you hear God is just, you think, oh no, that means he's after me. That means he's after me. And what I'm, what I'm offering you guys tonight is the opportunity to leave those assumptions at the door and say, God, you are holy. You are so far above what my mind could fathom about you. So I'm not going to put you in a box. I'm not going to say, oh, um, yes, but this person did this to me, or this Christian hurt me in this way. That means God is this way. No, 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 no. God is so far above what we could understand. And at a certain point, you're going to read, you can study your whole life about God's attributes, about his character. You can study his word every single day for six hours, for 60 years, and you'll only know a fraction of his eternal glory. And if you assume otherwise, you're in a dangerous place, guys. You're in a dangerous place when you think, I figured God out. No, no, no. That's, that's, a, that's like the beginning of a joke, right? Am I right? The second thing I think it means for our lives, God, is that we are called to be holy, not holy, holy, holy. We're called to be holy, not holy, holy, holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 17. You can jot that down if you want to look it up later. Um, you can also jot down Leviticus 11.44. Those two verses say, call us to a really interesting ideal, if you will. Because in those verses, God says to us through his word, he says, I am holy, so you must be holy as my people. And I think a lot of us are confused by that because we tend to say two extremes. Or 
on one extreme, oh, holiness is just purity. It's just morality. And so when God calls us to be holy, he's just calling us to be good. Or on the other extreme, we say, man, only God is holy. Only God is sacred. I am nothing. I am nothing. And we, we, we forget about our greatness and, and the greatness that God's put inside of us. And we say, oh, God's holy. And God says, no, 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 no. You got it wrong. I'm holy, holy, holy. And I want you to be holy. I am cut above everyone and every creation. I am the creator. But I want you to be cut above the broken world that you live in. This is not just talking about morality. This is, this is not just talking about um, correcting our different behavior. There are some religions that say um, that when we die, we essentially become part of God. Um, Hinduism, for example, there's an idea, a, there's a cosmic essence of the universe called Brahman. And in Hinduism, if you live your life well and you pass away, you are kind of, you are assumed or you are sucked into the Brahman, the essence of the universe. And this is where you exist for all of eternity. This is not what God is saying here. When he calls us to be holy, he's not calling us to be him, right? He's not calling us to, um, He's not calling us to assimilate into his being. In fact, I could argue that Adam and Eve's sin in the garden was wanting to be holy, holy, holy. They didn't just want to be an image of their creator. They wanted to be just like him. They wanted to be just cut above, just like him, on equal standing with him. Again, guys, a dangerous place to be. We will never be cut above the way he is cut above. We are the creation, and he is the creator. So in the words of YB, I don't know if you guys know YB, he's a rapper friend of mine, he used to work here. He said this all the time to me. He says, stay in your own lane. Stay in your own lane, right? God is holy, holy, holy. He calls us to be holy, but stay in your own lane, guys. Stay in your own lane. And last but not least, we're called to be other, not better. We're called to be other, not better. What's so beautiful about God's holiness and his calling for us to be holy, guys, is that it frees us from earthly comparison. It frees us from having to always look at your neighbor and say, well, they did this. Oh, well, you know, they give this much on Sundays. Is that how much I'm supposed to make? Holiness is not about modifying your behavior. I remember when I was um, in, in student ministry up in Maryland, um, I was brought in to um, a Saturday night event that they were having where they were trying to kick off um, how to live like a good Christian. And they had four tenets that you had to do every week. You had to read your Bible every day. You had to pray for at least 15 minutes every day. You had to share the gospel with one friend every week. And then I forget the last one. Because honestly, I didn't care. Because I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I know my buddy here. He's got four stars on the board. But I know he's really not nice. He's like not a good person. I know this guy, he's addicted to all kinds of stuff. He has four stars on the board. How is he holy and I'm not holy? Or how is this person who is so kind and loving, how, they forgot to read their Bible two days, I guess, so they only have three stars. How are they less holy than I am? It just doesn't make sense. The reason why, guys, is because holiness is calling us to be fundamentally different than what we once were. 
It's not asking you to be a better version of yourself. God is not asking you to be human 2.0. I think there's a a C.S. Lewis quote. I think it explains this perfectly. It's going to be up on the screen. This is what C.S. Lewis says. It says, God became a man to turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. I think a lot of us tonight are trying to jump better and better. And God doesn't want that for you guys. He's not concerned with helping you jump higher in your Christian life. His holiness is, <coughs> his holiness is not pointing its finger at you and saying, you don't measure up. God's holiness is saying, come to me, and I will make you fundamentally different. I'll make you a new kind of man. And this, guys, is why Jesus is our perfect role model. Because Jesus is not just a moral teacher. He is not just a good human being. He is the Holy One. He is the one who is cut above all of the rest of us. And even in that state of being so far above the rest of us, he went to the cross out of holy obedience and suffered God's holy wrath out of his holy love for us so he could extend us holy grace. That's what the gospel is. That's what it means that God is holy and that's what it means in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you that Jesus is a picture of of how we are to be fundamentally other and not just better, Lord. Lord, as we grow towards you, as we work out the kinks of our Christian life, I pray, Lord, that your holiness would be the lens through which we see you. And that the calling for us to be holy wouldn't just be about us becoming better or jumping higher or being more pure. But Lord, that we would, we would seek to be fundamentally different. That we would have new desires and new passions. Lord, I pray that you work in us as we worship you through song.